Good morning. Good morning, church. There we go. Um, let's open up God's Word to Hebrews 12. It's right at the back of your Bible. Um, Hebrews 12. We're just going to go over the first three verses. We're going to read it, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for all the blessings that you've given us, both in our physical life and our, in our spiritual life. Lord, we can gather on a Sunday freely and openly, we don't live in terror of governments who are going to come and take our families away. Who are going to come and prison us because we want to proclaim Jesus. Thank you for these liberties, Father. Thank you also for saving us. For sending your Son to save sinners. Thank you for not just keeping our sin counted against us, but Jesus, you took it and nailed it to the cross. The guilt that we would have to pay, the debt that we owed, you washed it white as snow. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we search your scriptures today, that as we look at this book of Hebrews, I pray that you would speak to us. Thank you for calling us by your word. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. Holy Spirit, be with us. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, Hebrews 12, verse 1, it starts with therefore. And so, you know what you have to do whenever you see a therefore in the Bible? You ask, what's the therefore? Therefore. Uh, so, uh, the previous chapter, chapter 11, um, it, I mean, the therefore connects 12, 1, to chapter 11. And so the whole chapter for chapter 11 is about faith, about what faith is and people who live by it. And so really it covers just about the whole Old Testament. It starts out what, what faith is, 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And by verse 4, we're at Abel. For by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. And then you just go, you go through it by faith. Enoch, by faith. Abraham, by faith. Moses. And you go through, it's the entire Old Testament. And that's what gets us to 12. But there's there's really a point to why 11 is talked about. And that's in verse 39. All these people who we get to look at in chapter 11. Verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, that they shouldn't be made perfect. Therefore, verse 12, 1, 
since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these people who have gone before us, all these people who have, who have gone before us in the Christian race, they're surrounding us in this, honestly, it's, it's made into this, uh, race event. Talking about running the race with endurance. So that's the setting we're in. We're, we're about to start a race and all these people who have gone before us are now surrounding us. And it doesn't just stop there. This is the whole Old Testament. And yet, I think it's not a, it's not a bad jump to, to bring in all the other saints who have gone before us. And we remember Mr. Bob Spivey, who also went before us. I have never heard of a man who was more celebrated. I have never seen a kinder man. And we can say, as, as Paul did for him, that for Bob, that he has run the good fight, he has finished the race, and he has kept the faith. And so he's gone before us, and we see his life as a beautiful, wonderful example of what it means to live by faith. And so we're told, after, after we see that we're surrounded by these cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. So, in ancient times, when they would gather for a race, they would have these beautiful, long, colorful robes, which really didn't help them run. So they would throw them off. Oh gosh, I'm sorry. I might just take this off. I'm, it might work better. No? I think I think it will. Can y'all hear me in the back? Yeah, does this work? All right. So, uh, so they have these long, colorful robes, all right, and then they throw them off. So they're basically running naked. Um, I think they had underwear, but they throw them off because they don't want to get tangled up in their legs. They don't want to. They don't have their their robes trip them up, right? So that's this imagery. Let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which clings so closely. Paul, or not Paul, I'm sorry, the author of Hebrews is setting up this scene that, that you're going to run a race. Right? And so you got to throw off those, those things that are going to get in the way of your running. It's actually, I'm told, really similar to swimmers. I don't know if y'all know this, but people who swim athletically, they, they'll shave their arms and their legs and their back and their chest, right? Well, why do they do that? Because that creates drag in the water. Because you're trying to swim and go, you want that water to flow smoothly off of you. But if you have a bunch of hair and you're really hairy, well, that's not going to do that. Right, kids, you understand this, right? Kids, I think y'all are really fast swimmers. But I bet if you wore a shirt in the pool, you think you're going to run as fast? You're going you to swim as fast, Tokes? I don't think so. The, 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 the shirt is going to catch the water. You're going to be slowed down, right? It's the same thing with, with hair, right? They, they would even shave, sometimes they'll shave the palms of their skin to get any dead skin off because they want nothing to hinder them from swimming their race. And it's the same thing with us as Christians, right? We have to throw off everything that's going to keep us from running. Leave it behind. Whether it's a weight or whether it's sin, we're running. We don't want to be tripped up. We don't want to stumble. We want to go for the prize. Who is our prize and what is our prize? 
It says it in the next verse, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Right? And actually, this is really awesome. The way that this sentence is set up, the let us run the race with endurance that is set before us, actually the very means that you run the race is by looking to Jesus. If you're not looking to Jesus, I'm t- I don't think you're running with endurance. You're not going to run very far. You're looking at yourself, or you're looking at your circumstances. And I can't imagine how you're going to endure. I, I, I just, I wouldn't understand that. So the very means by which we lay aside every weight and sin, and the very means by which we run with endurance, is by looking to Jesus. And do we just, do we just look at Jesus once? Like, oh, alright, uh, I'm gonna get saved, cool, and then I'm gonna start my race. Uh, so I've looked at Jesus, and now I'm gonna go back and look at myself. No. We're keeping our eyes on this prize. Right? We're looking at our destination as we're running. I mean, we see this when we drive a car, right? You know, you see a fancy billboard as you're driving. Huh? Oh, oh, oh gosh, oh. Right? Don't we do that? When you, when you were driving, if we look somewhere that's not on the road and we don't hold our hands straight, don't we drift off? I do that. Not while I'm, not while I'm working, John, though. I don't, I'm watching the road. But, uh, we do that. We have our eyes on the prize, our eyes on the destination. And it's not when we just start, it's as we're going. Right? I don't know about you, but, uh, the sin that I tried to repent of when I first got saved, I still struggle with it. It's not like, it's not like, oh, I'm gonna take off this anger, uh, throw it off, okay, great, now I'm going, now I'm going, oh, oh, this anger's back, uh, okay, Jesus, I'm so sorry, I got this anger, I'm gonna throw it off, right? Our sin doesn't just leave us. Praise Jesus that he has given us power and authority by saving us, and yet our sin still remains because we're still on this earth. And so the very means by which we throw off our sin and run with endurance is by looking to Jesus. And it's, it's, let me, let me say it this way, okay? Uh, we don't turn away from sin to then look at Jesus as if it's a two-part thing, okay? Right, like if, okay, Jesus, I need to fix my sin and then I'll turn and look at you, right? That's all you're saying is that you just have to become a better person to then, to then walk in your salvation, and that's, that's not what the gospel's about. Christ has saved you so that you can throw away your sin. That's a very important order. We look at Jesus in order to turn away from sin. And I don't, I don't know about you, but that's not always an easy thing to do. Because I have beautiful things like my awesome cell phone. Or NFL football, which I'll probably be keeping track of later today. Uh... We have distractions in life. We have things we like to do. And before we're saved, we definitely don't care about Jesus. I've never met someone who they weren't saved, but they just insanely loved Jesus. Right? So someone hears the gospel. They hear that Christ has died for them, taking their sins away. Alright, and then let's say they believe. So then they repent of their sins. Acknowledge that they're a sinner and that there's only one way to be with God forever, and that's through Jesus Christ. All right. Well, their sin's still there. What what happened though in the first moment of repentance? They loved Jesus more than they loved their sin. 
They wanted Jesus. They desired Jesus more than they desired their sin. But it's the same thing with each other repentance. Right? If I'm angry with my wife because I'm being dumb, right, I gotta repent of that. Because that's baloney, because she's wonderful. And I'm called to love her. She's laughing at me now, whatever. Um, but in that moment when I'm, when I'm being frustrated because I'm being selfish, it's because I'm loving myself or my sin more than I'm wanting to love my wife. And ultimately, more than I want to love Jesus. More than I want to desire Jesus. Jesus is no longer the priority in my life right now. And so I have to even take time to say, you know what, Jesus? I'm going to acknowledge that. I, I don't desire to do what you want me to do. I don't desire you right now. Help me do that. Help me throw this sin off. Help me look at you. Help me desire you. Because our sin is deep. And it is strong. And it is powerful. And yet, who is greater? Christ is greater. You are not greater. I am not greater. I can't just take my sin and keep it at bay because I think I can be good. Because I think I'm strong enough. No one's strong enough. No one is strong enough to keep themselves like safe from sin. That's why we look to Jesus. That's how we run with endurance, looking to Jesus. There's no other way to run. If your eyes are focused somewhere else, if your attention is focused somewhere else, you're not running to Jesus. You're not running the race. That's actually, uh, when I was working at the daycare, um, up in, up in Richmond, when taking the kids through a Bible study, that's what I would tell them. You know what? Right now, I don't think y'all naturally want Jesus, and that's not, that's not a bad thing. I'm telling most of them, I was the first experience of what Christianity is in their entire life. They'd never heard about Jesus. they never heard what they, what he had done for them. And so I told them, go home tonight and pray that God would give you the desire to know Jesus. Because right now you don't have it. Right? But that's, it's not different for an unbeliever as it is for us. Because our desires wax and wane with our sin. It comes and it goes. And we gotta pray to the one who does change our hearts. And actually, it's great because we weren't even the one who started the race in the first place. Read along with me. Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Okay, this word founder is actually one of my favorite words ever. Alright, and normally when, when I'm looking at a Bible, I don't, I mean, I don't think you really need to talk about the Greek or the Hebrew that much, but this word is just stellar. I just, I can't say enough about it. It describes this kind of a scout or a king who will go into a foreign land and conquer that part of it so that it can set up a camp or a base. Okay? So it's like a, some versions will say pioneer, some versions will say champion. And so like when I say scout, I don't mean someone like me who's like, okay, I'm just going to go scout out the enemy land and put up a little tent. No, we're talking about someone who's, who's leading a force. Excuse me. To go set up a fort. To go set up a territory that can be defended. A champion. Right? I'm, I'm thinking of someone like, you know, Carol over here. He's big and tall and strong. Right? He's gonna, the scout is gonna go, <laughs> sorry, he just nodded. <laughs> um, 
Someone is going to go in and conquer the land. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. He's gone into enemy territory, us being in the kingdom of darkness, and setting up a camp for himself in our in our wicked hearts, in our sinful hearts. He has gone and he started the race for us. So he's the, the start of this race. He founded our faith within us when we didn't want him. But what's great is he doesn't just leave us at the beginning and then go to the end and say, okay, guys, y'all just run to me, right? Well, he's not doing that. He's also the perfecter of our faith, the founder and perfecter. He told his disciples, and so he tells us in his word, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm not going anywhere. You are my sheep, and I am your shepherd. We're not just running towards an impersonal God who just says, come to me, and when you get here eventually, it'll be great. You're running. We are running towards a God who is drawing us to himself, who is running with us, running alongside us. That is just amazing. There's no other religion that has a personal God like this. You look at, I mean, if you ever talk to a Muslim person and ask them, hey, tell me, tell me about how your sin got taken away. Like, are, do you know that you're going to heaven and going to be with Allah forever? And they don't. They have no assurance. You know, they'll literally just say, yeah, I mean, I tried to live a good life, but if Allah doesn't think I did, then that's it. It's the same for Mormonism. It's the same for every other kind of religion. They just try and do enough good things. And then maybe they'll get to heaven. Maybe their God will think good enough about them. But that's not who God is. Because God knows we can't do enough good things. There aren't enough good things that we could do to get from death to life. That's why Jesus is the founder, the pioneer, the source, as, as it's also translated. He is the author of our faith. Because we can't do it by ourselves. He helps us start the race. He helps us go along and finish the race. And he is the prize that we're running to. He's our destination. He's where we're going. He is the beginning, the middle, and the end. With us the whole way. Never leaving us. Never forsaking us. It's just incredible. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus went through a lot for us. All, all the people who loved him suddenly abandoned him. He was interrogated. He was whipped with the cat of nine tails 39 times. He had a crown of thorns shoved into his head. They poured vinegar on him into his wounds, which I can't imagine even that. Sounds awful. He was nailed to a cross with thick nails in between the bones of his on both his wrists and into his ankles. It says in Isaiah 53, describing the suffering servant who is Jesus. 700 years before he actually came, Isaiah said the, that 
Yahweh was pleased to crush his son. And on one hand, you're like, wow, that sounds kind of mean. I thought God was, you know, a really nice God. But it wasn't the father who just wanted to crush the son and be mean. It was God, both, both, both the father and the son, who were working against sin. Who were working to bring man to themselves. Who was working to reconcile the relationship that was broken by sin. And to restore what the Garden of Eden was supposed to be. Jesus went gladly to the cross. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What's that joy though? Because all the things I just mentioned, it doesn't really sound joyful. I mean, I mean the being reconciled does. But like in the story, Jesus was, was being bruised and battered and crushed. I think the joy is actually you and me. I think the joy is his church that he's bringing to himself. The second to last book of the Bible has this amazing uh, benediction. Verse 24, it's in Jude. Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, right, because you're moving, because it's a race, to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of glory, with great joy. We are the joy that Christ had, that he was looking towards when he was being crushed on the cross. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is now resting from his work. I mean, he's he's sitting there. He's Romans tells us he's interceding for us. He's bringing our prayers and petitions to God, the Father. But the work has been finished. Death and sin have been conquered. Christ is now resting. Is he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God? Oh, I missed this line. Sorry, despising the shame. Real quick. Uh, Deuteronomy, the, the, the law in the Old Testament, it says that actually those who were, who were placed on a tree were cursed. And so, if we then go on to say that Jesus was cursed, that God was cursed, it, he was more than just cursed. It actually says that, um, he became sin. For us, so that we could be with God. I mean, let's picture that. I mean, sin is is literally death. And the God of life became death. He became sin who knew no sin, that you might become the righteousness of God. So that you could come to heaven, so that you could finish the race. Jesus took sin upon himself and became it despising the shame, the shame that was upon him for being crushed on the cross. And so now I've done, I've done a lot of talking, and maybe you're like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do, Braden? Like, you're giving me this cool sermon. I mean, I hope you think it's cool, but you give us this sermon. What are we supposed to do? All right? Well, the next verse says, 
Verse 3, for consider yourself because you're so cool. Oh, wait, no, no, I didn't say that. It says, verse 3, consider your heart and follow it. No, it doesn't say that. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The world says the other things I just said. The world says, oh, you have enough strength. Oh, you just need to follow your heart. Oh, you are just naturally worthy and a great guide for yourself. That's not what the Bible says at all. Actually, we're told that our heart is desperately sick and wicked. Who can understand it? We're not good. It tells us in Romans 3, no one is good. No one seeks after God. That's why Jesus had to do what he did. That's why he had to die on the cross for us. Because we can't do it. Verse 3, For consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The way that we run the race is by thinking deeply about Jesus. Actually, this is a really strong Greek verb here. Consider him. Think carefully. Consider long what Christ has done for you. Right? And it's... The point of this isn't just to say, okay, just think of, just think about what Jesus did. Okay, uh, Jesus, uh, was born of a, a baby and then he, uh, did a bunch of miracles and then, oh, oh, and then he died on the cross and was resurrected. That's not what we're saying. Going, going back to our desires. If you don't desire Jesus more, than your sin. What are you going to do? You're going to sin. I mean like. That's just how it is. If I if I care more about being right. In my marriage with Aaron. I'm going to be really selfish. <laughs> like. Because I don't care. I'm not caring about her. I'm not caring about what. The kind of marriage God has called me to. That's just how it is. So we have to replace the desire. To please ourselves with a greater desire. And if we don't, if we can't just naturally do that, what do we gotta do? We gotta ask the one who can change us. The one who began changing us as the founder, the author of our faith. We have to go back to him. Jesus, I want more of you. I need more of you because I don't, I don't even want you right now. I'm gonna be honest with you. I actually, when I, uh, I first preached this in Bible college, and, um, it was really bad. Uh, so my, the application that I gave, I, I told the Bible college students, okay, uh, stop watching Netflix as much, okay, put down your phone, and go read your Bible, right? And those might be like, I think, I thought they were good things to do, right? You know, stop watching TV so much and pick up God's Word, But I was just telling them things to do. I was just telling them ways to be a better Christian. As if just being a better Christian is going to fix the problem. But it's not. If you followed all of the the fix-yourself applications, and your heart hasn't changed, you've wasted your time. 
if someone sits up here and and just tells you to give more to the church because you're supposed to tithe and they don't tie it into how Christ has given his life for you, they're just telling you to be a good person. Just be a good Christian. Just because. But if we don't want to give everything that we have to God naturally and then and and give and tithe to the church that way we're just wasting our time. Jesus didn't come to just fix your actions, to just fix your this outward appearance to make you look better. He came to change your heart. He came to change who you are, to take away your sin and replace it with his righteousness. And that's why we keep going back to him. I'm not going back to anything else but Jesus. What Christ has done and what he's going to do. And that's what this passage tells us to do. When we're running the race with endurance, back in verse 1, let us run the race with endurance that is set before us, looking to Jesus, looking towards our prize, looking to the only one who can actually sustain us on this race. Because I know I can't endure. I don't have the strength. Y'all heard my testimony last week. In the middle of it, when I was at Moody for a while, I was just trying to be a good Christian. And it was creating awful problems. I was angry all the time, and I actually hated myself. I hated who I was and what I was doing because I wasn't good enough. Because I couldn't do it. And you know what? I placed those same things on Aaron. I wanted her to be a better Christian. Y'all think that went well? Mm. <laughs> and then Jesus re-showed me the light and the beauty of the gospel. That he's already saved me. I don't have to do enough good things to then earn his love. I already have it. I then realized that that's why I want to do good things. Because he's already saved me. I don't have to be good. I get to be good. I don't have to read my Bible. I get to read my Bible. I get to read about the person who saved me from my sins. Not because I did anything good, but because he loved me. For, for God proved his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. Amen. I'm not here to tell you to change your actions. I'm not here to tell you that you need to be a better person. I'm here to tell you to look at Jesus, to think about Jesus. The men in the, the Sunday school, I, I hope you're tired of hearing me say it. Go back to the gospel. Go back to what Christ has done for you. I'm saying that to all of you now. I just mean like I've said it a lot. But and Carol's laughing because he knows it's true. I'm not here to preach you to be a better moral person. I'm here to preach Christ and him crucified and him resurrected and in him resting, waiting to come back for his people to gather them to himself forever. That is the whole point of Christ dying for us. It's not, I mean, it's great that he saved us from our sins. But he saved us from our sins for a purpose. And that was to bring us to himself. That we would endure the race that is set before us. That we would run 
gladly, not because we have to, but because we're looking at the prize. Jesus Christ himself. Look to him. Run to him. And consider him carefully. Amen. Father God, we give you thanks for your great love. So great that you would send your son, your only son, that he could bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we could be adopted into the family of God. Father, what a privilege to be your children, redeemed by your grace. Now, Lord, we pray that we would go forth and be bold witnesses for Christ, the way we live and relate to our neighbors and friends. We pray your blessings now on the funeral tomorrow, that it will be exalted to Christ as we pay our final respects to our dear godly brother.